Welcome to Episode 5 of the Schaefer Creative Podcast. This is the third edition of Conversations with Creatives. My guest in this episode is a young character animator named Guillaume Blackburn. I first met Guillaume while working at Studio Pascal Blay many years ago. And for the past year, we've worked together at Tonic DNA on a really nice project for one of the major studios. More news about that when it's released next year. So how'd you get your first job? I basically made the round of all the studios with my demo. I made a demo. It took me a few months to make a demo. I put together all my best work, and uh, which was not really good at the time, but it was good enough for a demo. And I went to Pascal Bay Studio. And when I got in, I was like, oh my god. Like, the ambience and the way it looked was so amazing that I'm like, I gotta come back here. And I really pushed. <laughs> so I went in, I'm like, can I get a test or anything? And Phil Anderson gave me the honeybee test. So what did I do with it? I did it four times. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah. So... So I did the honeybee test, I brought it in with Phil, Phil showed me like all those things like to do the cleanup and the in-betweens and and I went back, did it a second time and I was still at school, I was still in my second year at Concordia. I did that all while I was doing my, starting to do my final film basically which I never finished because I was doing the honeybee pet test so many times. <laughs> But it made me learn, right? Yeah. I'm like, I'm learning more in those two months of reworking that test than I've been for the past two years at school. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta go back there. So I went back. I went back to see Phil. And I went basically four or five times there before like, they kind of realized I was there. And they kind of offered me to do something. I was not hired, I was just hanging around. Phil was showing me stuff and uh, a director asked me, hey, do you wanna do, you wanna do these uh, paint little fruits in the backgrounds for a commercial with fruits? Yeah, I think I was there at that time. I was, I was passing through, I remember the fruits being painted on something. It was Menu. Yeah. Uh, Manuel, uh, I don't remember his last name, who, ta- who asked me if I wanted to do that. And there was a little bit of uh, rotoscoping to do. I mean, cutting out characters yeah. and pictures. So I did that, and then that was my first job. And I brought it back, and basically they threw it out because it was not part of the... They actually cut those scenes off oh, of the project. And, um, and I, I was approached by Bernard, and he asked me if I wanted to do compositing because basically Menu was leaving. And I'm like, well, yeah, why not? Like, I'm like, I'm gonna do anything to to be in the business. I'm gonna, st- I want to put my foot in the business. Yeah. And uh, three years after that, I was still doing compositing. Wow. And then bit by bit, I took like cleanup jobs, and I would do it on at night and on weekends. And Al started giving me animation because I was telling him like. I had all those conversations about animation with him. He saw I was passionate, so he would give me animation jobs. 
And it was a little too much though. I mean, doing compositing and trying to do that at the same time. I mean, compositing I find is the most, it's the work and the business it is the most underrated. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy, you've you got to fix everything. It's also thing. extremely time consuming Yeah. and brain consuming. And yeah, and a lot of productions, what happens is they actually put not enough, they don't put enough time in the production schedule for composite. Right. Yeah. Well, you're sort of like me, because when I got out of school, I got into animation through the production angle. Yeah. Even though I was an artist, yeah. I never went to art school. I didn't want to go to art school. I thought, you know, all the art schools I had at my disposal were awful. So I focused on film. And so I got production, doing production management, running things, and slowly I had artists taking me under their wing and guiding my formation. They were telling me, take this class from this instructor and nobody else. Yeah. And so I would be taking all these classes and then they'd be training me on the job. They'd give me little bits here and there, and that's where I learned that. What's cool about animation is this is what's as close to story before storyboard. Because yeah. like you got a scene, you gotta make a, a story out of that one scene that connects the other ones together. It's a small little story, right? Yeah. That's what I like about it and that's why I keep wanting to do it is because every time there's a new scene, it's a new story, I'm trying to figure out the problem in the story, what's the conflict and what's, yeah. how, do, how do they resolve it or do they, and do they resolve it a scene later or um, there's always this like, this aim that we have I don't know if you feel the same yeah. way, like yeah. you never get there and no, it's, it's just like, it's annoying and there's always something, I mean it, it's I think it's, it's our nature to want to always have our aspiration higher than our actuality yeah. So we're at one place, but we know that we can There's do better. better. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing when you talk to painters. Mm. Painters, even though they have a career painting, they're always striving for that better painting. Yeah. You know, even to their death. We need that. Otherwise, mm -hmm. if we weren't aspiring and we got comfortable, I think once you get comfortable, then you become boring. Yeah. <laughs> but also, there, there are also those moments where you, you work hard on something and you've been redoing and redoing it. Like when I do little illustrations for myself, because that's what I do in my spare time, is like I basically work on little illustrations. I never work on anything big anymore because I might eventually, but um, it's just like I've been, I've been disappointed too much with bigger projects. So. I try to get just like little illustrations. I know I can finish them and I can push them further. Well, if it was like a, like a long story project, then I don't feel ready to do it yet. Because, I don't know, I, I, I'm too hard on myself to finish it and be satisfied. Um, at some point, I'll, I know I will be able to do it. It's just right now, it's, I do little short things. And, you just need to take your time because you're still young. Yeah, of course. You've got many, many productive years ahead of you. Your, your most productive years of your life are ahead of you. Take it one step at a time. That's a little it. bit of growth on the next time. And little, because you're right. If you jump in too far, mm -hmm. chances are you're going to flounder. It's going to be a huge failure, yeah. which is not necessarily a bad thing because we have to fail as artists and as writers and creators. Yeah, but you don't want to fall so so far under that you can't get out. It depends. You know? <laughs> it depends. 
Because sometimes that fall into that deep point forces you to climb out yeah. and do things differently. Yeah. And it's a lesson that you don't learn. So, I mean, one of my lessons that I've learned as an artist is that you're going to fall. Sometimes it's going to be deep. But getting out of it and that whole process yeah. forms you in such a way that you would not be formed as yeah. had you had it all easy and everything was going well. It's just like at the gym, right? Yeah. It's like you're trying a weight that's a bit too hard and you hurt yourself and you're like, ah, shit, you get to restart under where you started first yeah. and then rebuild it. And eventually you get better than you were when you hurt yourself, right? But you work to failure, right? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. got to well, make the muscle fail, you, you, and then you, your muscle grows out of the problem is when you work that threshold after the failure is like, and then when you, like, you actually hurt it, and then you get a healing. And it's, anyway. The worst thing, the worst, just, just to throw this out there, the worst thing about taking on something that's so big that you can't do it is that you're 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 working in fear yeah and that's that's deadly yeah. like painters when I when I talk to students about painting I tell them buy the biggest cheapest tubes of paint you can find because if you buy those expensive paints that are so pretty and you think are going to make so much difference you're going to have such a starved palette you're not going to be using it the way you want to yeah and you're going to be failing to begin with yeah and working in fear when you think about it you want to be happy, right? We all want to be happy. And if you take something that's too heavy, you're basically putting yourself in a miserable position where you're not going to be happy during the moment you're creating it. And it doesn't matter the result, right? Because what's the point of having a good result if you haven't been happy while you were doing it? And you want to find a sweet spot where, a sweet spot where you can keep doing it forever. And you still still get the result that you want. Right, right. But sometimes you don't get to that until you've laid the groundwork of yeah. grunt work and working hard and yeah. failing and being miserable and, and, in yeah. it. You gotta but be you, miserable. But you love it so much because you see the light at the end of the tunnel. You mm-hmm. see that you see the goal. Well, you still and, have that 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 aim that and you it had and pulls in the you through it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so. It is a challenge to be an artist because these things aren't articulated very well for students and yeah. people. But even professionals, they struggle with it. Yeah. I mean, you're a professional and you're struggling with it, right? <laughs> all the time. All the time. Sometimes you work really hard on something and you redo it many times and you actually get satisfied. Like, I actually am able, when I do little illustrations for myself, no contract, I'm not paid, I just do it for the fun of it. Because I don't have a deadline, I can push it and push it and push it. And I actually get to a point where I'm satisfied. And I sometimes I look back 10 years after at what I've done, and it's still valid. And I like that feeling of actually having be able to hit that mark that I wanted. Yeah. And after that, like obviously, I look at it and I'm like, I could have done things differently or a little looser. or That's usually what's missing is it's not loose enough right that's what happens when you work really hard on something you finesse it and you lose that spontaneity working quick gives so much energy and result in an image or any work or writing I think it's the same thing is if you're able to write or do it quickly 
still in a structured way, like controlled uncontrolled, right? Um, or controlled lack of control. It creates mistakes that are good mm-hmm. and that you can use your advantage and it's so much better. And I've seen so many artists that are able to do that constantly and it's crazy. I, I don't know how to do it. They're always in that mode. Like Al calls it riding the wave, right? When he animates, um, he's like, if you are drawing your animation drawings too slowly, yeah. you're gonna lose that momentum, right? So you want to draw, and he was saying you gotta draw, you gotta spend no more than 10 seconds per drawing. And if you do spend more than 10 seconds, you gotta take the pile of drawings you've done, even if there's a minute of animation, you gotta take it and throw it to the garbage and start over. Because you've lost the wave. It was that wave. Once it's gone, it's gone. It's not going to come back. You're going to have to catch another wave, right? Oh, which really? is going to be that's kind of interesting. Which is a it's going to be a different scene because it's not going to be the same movement. You're going to have learned from that first wave. I have to balance a bit, but that wave is different. And I found it was that picture was so um, accurate on how it feels when you're doing it. The thing now is like, well, now we're not working on paper anymore, we're on tablets. So like all those little mistakes that we're doing because we're taking too much time, we can fix them. So I find sometimes it, it's not as valid when I do animation on a tablet. Because I can cut and paste easily. It's not like with a photocopier before. Well, I understand what he means because you, you sort of have do have to animate at the speed of thought. Mm-hmm. The speed at the speed at which you are motivating in that performance is not being hindered by your slowness and that's kind of a, that's a difficult thing because you're still doing it in slow motion right? like underwater right? it's, it's like underwater exactly but at some point um, what was I going to say but at some point you're going to you're going to break that flow and for me it's just a matter of re- rejigging myself, rejigging yeah. myself and going back to where I am and then c- coming forward. Because to me, it's more craftsmanship. Yeah, me right? too. Yeah. That's how I, I can feel go back, I can figure out where I was, I can, f- I can regain the flow yeah. and I can start pushing it and then, and then ride yeah. it again. Yeah, that's how I feel too. I always thought that reworking something is never going to be negative for it. Yeah. Like it, reworking, for, reworking it is first going to build your neurons and then help you learn and uh, it's also going to make your craft better but there's people that don't have that vision they they don't have that that point of view they have the opposite point of view which is like you got to do it right away finish it and then go to something else you can't go back to it and that's how Al was working my brother is the same way my brother works exactly the same way for everything in life is like if I don't feel like it I won't do it so he does it only once he feel like it, and the feeling is not like doesn't the lapse of feeling, good feeling about doing something, is never really long. So he has to get it done really quickly. Otherwise, he will never finish hmm. it. Interesting. And Al is the same way. If he didn't, if he if he lost the wave as he's calling it, then he would throw it out and then start a new one. Yeah, it's a bit extreme. I, I don't think he follows it. <laughs> I've seen him do it. Have you really? Yeah, yeah. Piles, a pile of paper. He's like, scrap that and uh, start over. Hmm. And he was telling me, like, if you spend more time than 10 seconds on the drawing when you animate, the rough pass. Yeah, obviously. I mean, yeah. 
then uh, throw it out. Start over. You'll have the you have learned parts of what you were trying to do already in the first time you did it. So you you'll go back through that path on the second time. It's just I guess he's trying to get that that spontaneity also because you always do better drawings quickly. I think. But also, if you're taking more than 10 minutes per drawing, then then it shows that your your mind is not where it should be because <laughs> you're on the details and not the yeah you're not the thinking attitude. about something else yeah interesting I uh, I studied with a, under a painter uh, named C W Mundy and he took that principle of painting that says build then destroy build then destroy oh, yeah. so he would paint something block it in and then he would take a rag. And, and smudge it out yeah. and he would paint again and then smudge it out and that's and he does some interesting stuff that in that technique but you know I guess there is a degree where we do we build something and we realize eh, it could be better let's do it again let's do it again yeah what happens when you work like this is you discover what you want to do as you do it yeah. right most of the time for me is I know what I want to do I already have it in mind, and I'm trying to get there. It's completely, it's two opposite approaches, right? One is you're discovering what you're gonna get, and then you're, it leads you to, it leads you to the result, which you don't know what it, what it is like, until you get there. Or you already know what the result is, you see it in your mind, and you want to replicate that on paper, which is like never exactly what you had in mind anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So tell me about your childhood. When did you get into art? I well, like or I think like anybody for drawing is I've always been drawing. I was always uh, praised on my ability to draw at school, my by, by my parents, by my my family, my grandparents. I mean, my brother and I were always um, seen as the artists' kids. Oh, so your brother's an artist. Well, he doesn't pursue art as a career. He's a programmer. But he was a much better drawer than I was. And he was more like the type like Al, like it's natural. Mm. So like even now, he can draw... He can draw like someone who has like 25 years of experience. Mm. You know, like, well, I, I, I wouldn't say that because he lacks construction and, you know, structure in his drawing. But he, he's able to get appeal in a drawing, which is very strange for someone who hasn't done it for a career, right? Um, so we were always seen as the, the artist kids. My parents are musicians, but I was never really into becoming a musician myself. Hmm. I played drums. Um, they're, they're mostly singers, and um, they, sang, they sang opera, and they, they teach... Really? That's interesting. That's why I'm so like into lip sync. If it doesn't seem like it's coming out, coming out of the mouths of the characters, it bugs me. It really bugs me. It annoys yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so my parents were singing teachers, and um, I was always into arts. And animation came as a something I could do when I was like 16 that's when I, I think I when I saw the Iron Giant and I realized wow if this is a movie that is done with animation 
then I want to do animation because I like to draw and this was fantastic and I rewatched that movie over 500 or maybe 600 times I don't I don't know I would, I would basically for five years in a row I would put it to go to, to sleep every night wow and I remember waking up at night and was like the generic <laughs> like every day I would put wow. it it was like my 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 lullaby to p fall asleep was the iron giant it's a very interesting uh, thing I don't it think anybody in the no, world has done that I can't say that that, that I, w I know of anybody who's done that yeah that's a bit <laughs> extreme um, but just to say that I have this this vision for animation I think it, I share the same vision as Brad Bird and I think it same as yours is I want I don't want animation to be stuck in a genre um, the way it is still today all those like there's formulas and things that you have to see in animation films which I find are, are detrimental to the to the film itself okay so you're you're a teenager right yeah you're loving Iron Giant yeah and I'm 16 and I decide to um, basically I decide to start really drawing more often anytime I have spare time I'm not anytime I'm not doing maths calculus and algebra or chemistry or writing an essay I'm drawing so I'm trying to catch up all those years that I haven't you know been actually drawing all the time I was drawing but I was not really seriously doing it I was like, if I do this for like two or three years, I'll be ready to actually study and maybe make a career out of it. That's what I did. I did drawing, I filled sketchbooks after sketchbook after sketchbook until I was and 19. Who taught you how to do that? No one. I, I, don't, I don't think anyone told me. I just... It's just by nature you said, I'm going to fill sketchbooks. It's, I think it's an idea that was instilled in my mind from all those... I heard between adults that said, "Oh, but this this uh, this artist or like this musician or was is a prodigy," and he's like, "Oh yeah, why?" Like, and they're like, "Oh, he wrote his first composition when he was four years old." I was like, "Wait a minute! At four years old, I was playing in dirt." Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I've been losing my time. Oh, right? Okay. And I'm like, I gotta catch up before I'm 20. And I was like, so that I can actually be the prodigy that I was not. Become, become the thing that I'm supposed to be, right? Yeah. That I was not necessarily forced to be. And I'm gonna force myself to, to be it. And it was, I've, I've pushed it to the extreme. I mean, I've, I've all, like, I was like, telling some people like, you can't, you can't uh, disappoint anyone around you. And I was saying, you got to do everything the best you can all the time without any complaint. And that was so, it was really extreme the way I was approaching life and art. Like, I got to do it. Basically, I was ready to sacrifice my life. Like, I was ready. I, was, I, I even said it many times. I'm like, if you want to become an animator, like work in animation as, a, as an artist, you gotta sacrifice your life, otherwise you won't make it. You gotta be ready to die. And uh, I think it's because my parents had a hard time with money also. 
because they were musician and it was hard to get gigs and they were not in a band they were trying to get bands but it didn't work and it looks really hard to actually keep it going when you're in music and they told me if especially my father said oh, it was really hard to be a musician I became a teacher because there was no other option, right, to actually sustain a life like this. And uh, he said, it's not easy. If you choose that path, it's not easy. He didn't tell me you're going to have to work hard. He didn't tell me that. He just said, it's not easy. It's extremely hard. You should become a doctor, right? I'm like, okay, so becoming a doctor is going to be less work? I don't know. I'm like, what if I work as hard as a doctor, but in animation? I'm like, I have to at least try it. So I did it. Interesting. That's what I did. And I went in Con at Concordia and I didn't listen to anyone and I just read the Animator's Survival book. Animator's Survival Guide. Uh, yeah, Survival Guide. I read it four times in Richard, a row. By Richard Williams, right? Yeah, yeah. Richard Williams. And um, I read it four times in a row. Like, it was not enough to read it once. It's just like the Iron Giant. I had to reconsume it. So every, every time I found something that was teaching me something very important, mm -hmm. I would reconsume it many times just to be sure that it stays in my mind. There's even a class, uh, one of the best teachers at Concordia is Valerie Michalko. Yes, my, my daughter loves him. She's in his class. He's amazing. He's, he's such a good speaker and he's funny because he's got a Bulgarian accent and, and he's very, he gets very emotional about creativity and right and how you shouldn't waste your talent and everything and like he was the embodiment of everything I've been thinking right so I was like I gotta follow this guy because he's thinking exactly the same way I am and I took his class and the next year I kind of knocked in his class I graduated from his class right and I knocked and I'm like hey can I just get in your class and just listen and I basically took the class twice on my spare time, I took the class again, and he let me come in, not registered to the program. Wow, that's great. Because were there any other good animation instructors there? Um, I mean, yes, but it's really hard to find someone that can tell you. For example, you're doing a storyboard. You go to an instructor, and then you say, hey, I've done this storyboard. It's not working because you're, you're a student. You haven't worked in the industry, and you don't know how to fix it. And you're trying to find someone who's going to help you take your idea and make it work and I never found any instructor that was able to push my ideas further it was always like oh maybe you should rework that but how like, how yeah. do I rework it they couldn't, they couldn't show me yeah. how to do it like where do I place a character in the camera like what comes next and what's the feeling when I do this and how do I convince a certain idea Anyway, it was really hard. And I, I, I don't blame the teachers because today I have the same problem. I, have, I think it's really hard to find people around you that can push you in the direction that you're trying to go. And, uh, well, Mike Greenhold was, I found, was really good at that as an animation director. Mm, he was. He was fantastic. He would take anyone's idea and make it better. Yeah. He was not trying to push us in another direction. He was taking the idea that we were giving him, and he was technically fixing it, yeah. which is exactly what he should be doing. Yeah. Right. 
So, my kids are either in Concordia or coming into Concordia, and what I've been telling them is, don't depend upon the program or the instructors to teach you. Yeah. You are your own teacher. You, you use what good you find, but you have to take it into your own hand yeah. and study yourself. No one will do and it don't for you. Just, and don't depend upon that one program to do everything you need. Yeah. Well, otherwise, you're going to come out of the, uh, the other end and you're going to be nowhere. Yeah. You go into a program and you think you're going to be um, surrounded by people with experience and who can lead you where you want to go. But the thing is, no one knows where you want to go. You're the only one. And if you don't, if you're not sure where you want to go, no one will find it for you. And you gotta, you gotta find it yourself. And the only way is to put the work in, and no one will fix anything for you. You gotta yeah. own your own education. That's it. That's it. You gotta. I basically, I find that all, everything I've learned in animation is me trying to get a concept that I don't I, I, that is still blurry to my mind I'm not sure what that concept is even like uh, I don't know the concept of putting something on model when you're animating and I find so many people have it wrong putting something on model they, it's kind of like a mysterious thing putting a character on model and when you start out someone tells you oh it's off model you're like okay I'm gonna retry again and you trace it <laughs> you trace you trace the model and then you bring it back and they're like it's a little better but it's still off model and you're like I traced it why is it off model right and you get you work really hard and you show it to that person again and at some point they're like yeah you got it now it's on model and you show it to somebody else and they're like it's off model and it's like what Okay, this guy told me it was on model. That other guy told me it was it's off model. And it's like... By the way, I've seen that drawing. It was off model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, right? <laughs> you were just too close. You couldn't see it. <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, I, don't, I don't know exactly. If, I, are you kidding? Or you're no. actually talking about a real drawing? <laughs> I don't remember. Maybe. <laughs> okay. The sum of all the different parts that I got about putting on model was you got to make the drawing appealing and in volume and respect the basic shapes of the character. The proportions can be a little off, but if the drawing has appeal and is drawn, it's, if, if it's a good drawing, it has to just be a good drawing. And now, okay, now it's a new mysterious concept. What's a good drawing? Well, there's all those rules that make a drawing good, right? And there's Norman LeMay that has a book, 100 Tuesday Tips, and he, he's gonna get a second book out. I'm not sure it's maybe out already. And he's got all the tips uh, laid out on how to make good drawing and have a line of action and all those tricks. Um, where to put the eyes, how to put the eyes, imagining a mask around the eyes. And oh, cool. Send me a link and I'll put it in the show notes. Okay, cool, I'll send you the link. And uh, you can find his tips actually on the internet really easily. You don't have to buy the book. All right, send that to me. So what kind of advice would you give to a kid who's 13 years old, 14 years old, wants to get into animation? 
My advice would be draw. And if you don't feel pleasure when you're drawing, it's normal at first. But if you never feel pleasure at all while you're drawing, I don't see any point of continuing. It has to be, you have to have enough passion so that the hard work doesn't feel like hard work. It has to feel like this is what I gotta get done to actually reach what I wanna like do. Like practicing scales as a musician. Yes. It's not fun. It's but not super you need, fun. You need to know it. But you can actually appreciate doing it. You, know, like you end up appreciating it just like anything else when, when you work out. You appreciate what you're doing just because you're improving. And you know it's going to make your craft better. So that's that's my advice. My advice is just draw. Because there's so many people that think they can make it without drawing. There are people that make it without drawing. But it, it would be so much better if they actually draw on the side. Just, just sketch in a sketchbook. I think sketching in a sketchbook every day is like the best advice that, that I had in the past by other people. Yeah. I, uh, when I was in uh, taking classes while I was working uh, at art, going to art school, art center, college of design, Steve Houston made us keep a sketchbook and we had to fill 10 pages a week. Yeah. And looking back on that, I would say that that was where I learned how to draw was in the sketchbooks. Yeah. It's, and the way I look at it now is that your sketchbook is your conversational language. Yeah. Preparing you so that when you get to the speeches, which are your your pictures or your life drawing or whatever, those are very finely tuned, well thought out speeches. But if you're not having a convert, if you're not conversational in that language, yeah, then you're not going to do anything on those. those there's big a, there's not, yeah exactly. There's not going to be anything final. Yeah, it's the preparation. Keeping a sketchbook is the preparation to actually work, and I think. I suffer, I've, in the past two years I've been suffering because I stopped drawing in a sketchbook every morning. I, I would, on the commute to work and commute to home, to my home, I would always draw in a sketchbook, anything. Sometimes it was just circles, just little lines, scribbles. And I could, I could feel the days I wouldn't do it, when I would get to work, it would take me an hour to warm up or two hours to warm up and being able to actually do good drawings. But when I did do the 30 minutes of 20 minutes of drawing in a sketchbook, I would get to work and I was already warmed up. I was, and it's really a muscle warm up. It's yeah. muscle and mind, but it's especially muscle warm up. Your muscles are shaky in the morning and weak, right? So when you start sketching already, your mind is like, okay, I can control that hand, I can control that arm. And you, you kind of forget how to do a circle when you wake up in the morning. <laughs> I'm telling you, it makes those crazy shapes. It's like... All right, Guillaume, well, I appreciate your time. This is fantastic. Well, thanks to you, Todd. It was great. It's very enlightening. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it is. I hope it's going to help some people. Let's get back to work. All right. <laughs> Be sure to check out the show notes where you'll find links to Guillaume's social media and books that he's recommended. For more about Schaefer Creative, you can find us on the web at schaefercreative.studio. Music is by Lee Rosevere.